Hey everyone, welcome to Building Infinite Red, a podcast where the founders of Infinite Red, Jamin Holmgren, Ken Miller, Todd Worth, share stories and insights into creating and leading a software consultancy on the edge of tomorrow. I'm your host, Chris Martin, and in this episode, we're talking about our favorite remote work tools that enable our distributed team across the world to collaborate on, design, and build software with. Throughout the episode, Todd, Ken, and Jamin touch on their favorite tools from Slack, Zoom, and Google Sheets, why they chose them, and the ways they have added custom features to really make the remote experience special. For the full list of tools and resources, along with the full transcript of this episode, you can head to building.infinite.red slash eight. The topic at hand today is remote tools and all of the different ways that you have built a remote company. So uh, where do you even start when you're thinking about what tools to pick when you're going remote? Uh, This is Ken Miller, by the way. It it happened very organically for us. And to be honest, I don't know that we could have done this company this way before Slack. Um, Because the tools that came before, uh, you know, the HipChat and IRC and Yammer, even though I worked there. Sorry, Yam fam. (laughs) <laughs> um, they just didn't quite do it, right? They they didn't quite create the online atmosphere that we need to to work the way that we do. Does that sound accurate to you, Todd? I mean, I feel like I, I feel like once we found Slack, we were like, "Holy crap!" This I, is I, it. I think there was a there's a few alternatives. HipChat at the time wasn't good enough. There were a few alternatives we investigated. Um, I would like to mention the beginning. This is Todd Worth, by the way. I would like to mention the beginning. I imagine that a lot of companies in this podcast will need to be paying us an advertising fee, so <laughs> like Slack. Yeah, we we actually adopted Slack before we were remote. Uh, so we had, uh, I think we we're using Google Hangouts or something or whatever <laughs> of the myriad Google chats there are out there. <laughs> they have like 12 apps, um, but we were using something else and uh, in person. And then we started um, we started using Slack uh, organically right when it first came out. Sorry about that noise. You all heard that was me throwing up a little bit in my mouth when he said Google Hangouts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about video chat in a minute. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So, by the way, this is Jamin Holmgren. Uh, and so it, it was, uh, we, we initially, we jumped on board. They did a really good job marketing themselves. We had used hip chat a little bit, um, but it just wasn't, it wasn't what, you know, we expected. And, and, uh, so yeah, uh, we started using Slack, um, and that was in early 2014, I think it was. Uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that within a year and a half, we ended up going remote. I think that was one of the enabling tools. We got used to it in the office, but it, it enabled, uh, remote work so the talk about chat apps or checks chat services is important but on a kind of a more general standpoint i would say how do you approach it is actually try them and do it a lot of companies seem to just use whatever is available and not look for optimum solutions um if trying three or four different chat systems is too onerous for you it's that's probably the wrong attitude in my opinion you think don't settle i mean it's like mm-hmm. you know don't 
don't assume that the first thing that you try is the only thing and then conclude that remote isn't going to work because the tool that you tried sucks. We tried a lot of tools at ClearSight uh, before the merger. We tried, um, I, I can't even name them all, to be honest. Uh, part of it is because I like, uh, I'm kind of a gadget guy. I like to try new things and see how it goes. Um, but, you know, and, and there was actually a lot of skepticism around Slack because it just sort of felt like yet another tool that they had to, you know, log into and, and pay attention to. And we already have email, so do we really need this? Uh, but it was kind of funny when, when I went back and looked at, um, at our inner, like inner company email, uh, and just sort of tracked, I think I used, uh, the, like at, or the everyone at clearsightstudio.com or something, uh, email address to sort of track, like how often we were using it for company communications. And it just dropped off a cliff after Slack, like, like the amount of email, the volume of email that was flying around went way, way, way down. In fact, I remember we used to send gifts, but you know, an email threads and stuff like there were elements of the culture that we have today in slack uh going on in email threads and slack was just so much more well suited to that that actually kind of came about very organically like we we had tried a bunch of different things we tried slack and it just picked up steam picked up steam picked up steam i don't and i'm I'm not even exaggerating i don't believe i've ever sent an email to anyone in infinite red internally don't, I don't uh, think unless so. it's like a forward from somewhat external. Cor- correct, and I think yeah. there's people on our team who probably don't check their email very often because they don't have a lot of. Um, yeah, if, if you don't do sales or out, any kind of external yeah, outreach, they, yeah. yeah, and that's something we've that was a, a sticking point a few times when people are sending out emails and and we had to you know they were wondering why people weren't responding. It's because a variety of people never check their email. And it is funny because email does still it is still uh, you know a tool that we use for remote communication with um, with outside clients you know especially people first coming to us but as soon as we can we get them onto Slack uh, uh-huh. because we've found that 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 level of communication is the least friction it's it's very seamless so Slack is definitely featuring very very centrally in our remote tool story for sure rather than just you know I'm sure a lot of people out there use Slack if you don't give it a try. But rather than just, you know, gushing on Slack, I do want to say that I think the important part here is we did go through a lot of a lot of different chat services and you have to give them some time because at first, for example, we do love Slack, but at first it didn't seem that different. Like there wasn't a bullet list. It's like, oh, this has feature X. It was a bunch of little subtle things um, that made it work especially well for us. And I think that, I mean, part of the, the meta point there is you have to treat your tools really seriously, right? I, you know, Google and Amazon and all these big companies and any well-funded startup, whatever, they're going to lavish a lot of attention on making an office that works for them, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to create an office environment very thoughtfully, right? And I've been to a lot of these offices and a lot of them are very thoughtfully considered, right? And they're designed to create a certain atmosphere. So, for example, I, I was at the Square offices once. A huge, cavernous room designed to create a sense of energy. Right? That's sort of the, the open office mantra is that sense of energy. Right? And they had these little sort of cubicle, sort of nicely, nicely designed, but these sort of cubicle things where you could go if you wanted quiet. But clearly noise was the default. Right? And so that architecture creates 
a culture, right? I mean, it, or at least it reinforces a culture. Um, and so as a remote company, your tools are your architecture. You either need to buy them from people who design them in a way that works for you. Um, and Slack seems to work for a lot of people. Or you build things that work for you. Or you create sort of norms about how they're used that, that do the same thing. And we've done some things on Slack. We've done some things on Zoom to create that sense of being together. Todd? I would like to add emphasis to what Ken just said. Imagine the time that someone puts into an office, architecture, the layout, the furniture, um, rearranging it multiple times, placing stuff. Now think about the time that companies you've worked for put into remote tools. Yeah. Anyone out there with their hands up saying that they spend about 30 minutes on the remote tools and ever. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it's not surprising that, um, one is superior to the other in those organizations. So I would pile on what Ken said and, and take the same amount of effort and consideration of your tools uh, as a remote company, as you did with everything else in the physical space, if you're a commuter company. I'm interested too, because as you're talking, you're, you're talking about the difference between physical architecture and the architecture of your tools that allow you to do remote work. And if everyone's using Slack and it looks and functions the same way, what brings a sense of uniqueness to a company that's using the same tools? Uh, me, uh, just me being around <laughs> makes everything unique, wonderful, and amazing. Um, but uh, to answer the real question, you have to take Slack. And one of the great things about Slack is it's highly customizable. You can add plugins, you can add all sorts of integrations. And we're going to talk about other tools in the Slack. Um, they literally just pay us a, a crap load of money to, to talk about this. Um, but <laughs> I wish. But, uh, I wish. <laughs> But uh, you don't take the vanilla. The whole point of something tool like that is you take it and you make it your own. I did see uh, someone tweeting about switching remote companies, you know, like like they, they quit one company and they got hired by another. And uh, they did mention, actually, how similar it was. Uh, you know, you, you go into the same place, you sit down at the same chair, you have the same computer in front of you, you log into a different Slack and you start working, right? Like there is some level of, of consistency there. And in a way that's, that's a very good thing. Like you, you know, you, you can be comfortable very, very, very soon. Uh, you know, there, there are plenty of things to learn about a new company without having to also learn, you know, new office layout, new office norms, uh, policies about who can put their lunch in the fridge and who can't. And <laughs> I don't know what else. Uh, you see, it's been so long since I've been in an office, I don't even know. Um, but the, the, uh, the I think there is some level of normalcy there because people do use similar tools. Uh, but like Todd said, you can, you can customize Slack to work the way that your company needs to. And uh, you can customize other tools as well. And since we're programmers, uh, since our team has a lot of programming capability on it, we do actually build a lot of glue uh, code in the scripts and things that will uh, help tie every, all the tools together. In most sort of organizations that have adopted chat tools, whether it's Slack or something else, they are usually billed as an internal supplement replacement for email. And it is great at that. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think something that, that gets lost in the way people talk about the way we communicate now is that, well, let, let me sort of, let me tell a little story. So I used to be a big fan of uh, Roger Ebert, rest in peace. Brilliant writer, right? 
super enthusiastic. He was very critical of the way people write online. Very critical of things like emojis and emoticons. And I think, while I respect him a lot, I think he completely missed the point on that. And, and the point of that is, although, yes, we type to communicate online, it's not really writing. Not in the way that our English teachers taught us, right? It's typed, typed speech, really. Right. It, it, it's a it's a register of communication that's closer to the way that we talk than it is to the way that we would write for writing an essay or a blog post. And so one of the things that I really like about Slack, for example, is the sort of the rich way that you can communicate without it looking junky. You know what I mean? It doesn't look like something awful or or 4chan or 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 some of the other sort of like really junky looking message boards that had that level of expressiveness. So it gives you the level of expressiveness so that you can substitute for the lack of facial expressions and body language. But it's not writing, right? You don't write, you don't type into Slack the same way you do. It's much closer to the way that you talk. And so for a remote organization where we're not on Zoom all the time, although we are a lot, it's super important that you have that level of kind of human expressiveness in your medium, in in the medium that you're using to replace spoken word. Uh, three comments. One, Zoom is the video conferencing tool we, we use, and we'll talk about that in a second. Two, I don't spend much time on 4chan, Ken, so I'll take your word on that one. Um, <laughs> and uh, three, just to give an example, like talk about customization, and uh, you might be asking yourself, okay, Todd, I've used Slack, I've used chat, what are you talking about? Just to give you a, a few flavors. The simplest is creating your own channels that have some sort of cultural significance to your organization. One of ours is called Roll Call, where we kind of, it's the uh, digital equivalency of walking in and out of the office, kind of, I'm here this morning, uh, I'm going to go get my car worked on, I'm back. It's not just status, it's also... You know, not not just whether you're working or not, but it's 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 a way to communicate basic little life things in a short way. Uh, we have another one called Kudos, where we give kudos to people, which at first I thought probably wouldn't take off, but it actually did. It's where you give kudos to people uh, for things that they did well, and uh, I'm really shocked how many people give kudos and how many people respond. But that's obviously just using the base tool and choosing what content to put in there and how to organize. But there's other things too. Obviously there's things like uh, code repository integration, uh, code bug reporting integration. We integrate with other company Slacks. So they have a Slack channel, we have a Slack channel and they connect so that we can do that with our clients. Um, All the way to, we have a custom bot we wrote for Slack. Uh, Her name is Ava and she does a variety of internal processes for us, um, which she's kind of, you know, in the old days, you'd have a database and you'd have like a Windows app written to connect your database for your company. You do things in there. Uh, we have a lot of uh, Internet SaaS tools and then we have Ava that integrates a lot of them together. Todd, can you give an example of something that Ava does for us? Yes. So there are some basic things that a chatbot might do. For instance, you know, you might want to ask her where Jamin is and she'll tell you the information she knows about Jamin. Uh, But it's a lot of operational stuff. For instance, uh, our project manager, Jed, has to produce weekly reports for clients. Uh, Ava produces those for him and um, stuff like that. So Stuff that you would normally, like I said, do in, in the old days in a, in a desktop app or something. Yeah, Todd came up with uh, Ava 
uh, quite a while ago, actually. And it was sort of just a toy to start with, just kind of playing around with it. Uh, he had some ideas of where it might go. But um, over time, we've, we've actually invested more and more resources into this internal chat bot. And it's proven to be quite valuable. It's saved a lot of time, uh, reduced the amount of overhead that we have to have tracking things because, because it's able to do a lot of uh, kind of just process things. So far, she has not escaped and murdered us. <laughs> so far, I'm working on that. That's a win. There's some tiny things. If she's just a way for us, if we need to program something that we have a sticking point, like here's a very simple thing that took me five minutes to throw in. Uh, we do a lot of things on Mondays and you constantly want to know what last Monday was or Monday three weeks ago. And so you can literally just say, Ava, what was Monday two weeks ago and she'll tell you so that's a very tiny thing um generating project pdfs or generating project reports is is a big bigger thing obviously another tool we use to communicate non-verbally in slack is reactions so uh, someone will post something and we we react to it i think this is pretty common in, in slack teams and and this is something that slack did a good job of of coming up with a cool idea because usually you think of like upvoting and downvoting or something. But, you know, when you have the whole range of emojis, including custom ones and animated ones and things like that, it can be a very cool thing. And one kind of interesting example of this, we have an integration with, um, uh, Ken, what's the, the service we use for chain react tickets? Xavier. Zapier. Zapier, yeah, and it connects with Eventbrite. Uh, and that basically will post anytime someone buys a ticket to Chain React, which is our React Native conference, of course, happening in Portland in July, and you should buy a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we get a notification and it pops in there and um, you know says who's coming. And when we're getting down there, like we, we were getting down to the last few advanced workshops that were available, someone started putting like, a number emoji underneath it, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, like that. And you can kind of see then, like at a glance, how many were left. It was very cool how, how we were kind of all collaborating on that. Uh, when someone would, would buy the advanced workshop, uh, Kevin Van Gelder, who's like our resident, you know, Windows guy, he, he would put a little Windows uh, emoji on there because, you know, that that's part of the advanced workshop. It was just a cool way to communicate and, and collaborate without even using words. I think the important part of using reactions or emojis or Slack responses, reactions, if you're not familiar with Slack, is, uh, it's simply someone posts a message and you can, instead of responding to it, you can post a little image on it, like a heart or a thumbs up or vote up or whatever. A Slack response is an automatic system that when you say X, it outputs Y into it. So if one Slack response that Jamin hates is that when you say, I'm not a big fan, it posts this picture of this really, really small fan. It's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> um, uh, but, really uh, hilarious. Yeah, every time someone put, you, we had some that we had to remove because they just came up too much. Like every time you say founders, it would show the three stooges, which is accurate, but. Um, <laughs> it was founders meeting. Oh, but, whatever. But still, was, but yeah. It was accurate, but but a little uh, a little too much noise. But mm. the point is, um, it's very important. We've probably added huge number of Slack responses, a huge number of our own emojis and the emojis you can use for responses. And a lot of them have become very cultural just to give you a few examples, uh, my cat, Callie, uh, that's short for Callie Berry. I took a picture of her paw and, and of course cats, if you just do the front part of their paw, it looks like they have four fingers instead of five because 
their fifth ones back further. And so we came with this emoji and this thing where if someone does a really great job, they get a high four instead of high five. And it's Callie's response. I didn't so actually that, know that was Callie's paw. Oh yeah. That's Callie's paw. That's yeah. cool. So that's a cultural thing that I created one day and it just kind of stuck and it became a high four is an infinite red thing. Like you get a high four. We have other things like that too, that are very specific to our culture where you have to explain to to people who come in what that means. I would definitely customize it, make it fun. We don't worry too much if clients see it. I mean, we're not doing anything appropriate. You know, at first there was discussion, well, is it professional if they accidentally trigger one of the Slack responses? No, but does that really matter? No, in my opinion. It, it depends on the response. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there were some that were a little over the line, right? And that without context could be a little startling that I, we remove those, but yeah, that's true. But for the most part, like, yeah, just something that's quirky. Hopefully we all have clients that, uh, at least the people who are in the Slack room are, will appreciate that. Another one that's totally part of our culture is there was this early picture of me looking into the camera with a stern face and that became the shame emoji. And that's, that's been used ever since. Every time someone wants to throw shame upon someone, my my face is there. I don't know if that's good or bad. But there, There's another one that's quite disturbing of you, Todd. Oh, <laughs> when you say yes, yes, Y-I-S, yes, that is yes, disturbing. Yes, dream. You have to, you have to <laughs> work here. To, you, had, you had to be there. You have to work, work yeah. and enjoy that one. Some of the things that I came, came from my experience at Yammer where a lot of the company was run internally on Yammer. And there's a, a couple of really big advantages to that. Um, and especially in a, at all remote company where the vast majority of conversations happen there. And one is that there's very l- much less pressure to include people in meetings just because, just in case they might have something to say about it. Because if you're having the conversation in Slack, you just pull them in, right? After the fact, and they can catch up. But the other was, uh, there was an ethos at Yammer that was, th- there's this sort of pat question, which is, why is this private? Like, why did you make this group private? Why is this in a private chat? Making closed conversations justify themselves rather than being the default. Particularly when we invite other people into Slack, I noticed that there's a little period of training um, where people will just instinctively start DMing because it's kind of like, well, I need to ask Ken this question say we brought our, our bookkeeper in, right? And they would ask me because I was the contact, right? And I'm like, ask this question in finance, right? Yeah. Ask this question in the finance channel, which happens to be one of the private ones for a variety of fairly obvious reasons, right? By asking in the channel, then the other people who might be interested can just observe, right? And that's one of the ways that you compensate for the lack of that kind of serendipitous overheard conversation that people are so fond of in, a, in an office. In episode two, we talked about the philosophy of remote work. And Todd, you actually made a comment that was really interesting to me. You said that when the leadership uses the remote tools, they immediately get better. And so why why do you think that's the case? Uh, human nature. I'll answer your question with a little story. Uh, I worked for a company. This is circa 1999. I don't know. Uh, I didn't work for them. They were a client of ours. For many, many years, they were very much a Microsoft shop and they had no interest in testing anything on other platforms like Mac or whatever. And we worked for them for like nine years, something like that. So this is all through the 2000s. It was frustrating for people who wanted to produce, you know, 
websites that were universal. And if someone opened on a Mac, it'd actually look good and not look horrible. Uh, one day, one of the, the VPs who was above the software group bought an iPad. And then I think about a year later, he bought a MacBook. Once he had that iPad, all of a sudden, it became very important that things look good on his iPad, um, which is funny and horrible at the same time. It is just human nature. If you use something, it's much more front of mind than if you don't. Even the best of people suffer this. Um, so if you have a mixed company, meaning you're part remote, part commuter, one of those groups is going to be a second class citizen, period. If you're, if 10 people are in a meeting and not, or eight are remote and two are in the office, the two in the office are going to be the second class citizens. Uh, and, and more often it's the vice versa, right? Getting everyone on the same page gets rid of second class citizens. But just if you if you want to make the best remote environment, either getting the majority or getting the people who have more power um, in the remote situation will will increase your tools quality big time. That's for sure. And we've seen that in internally in Infinite Red as well. Um, when we use the tools, which we do, a leadership team is probably the heaviest user of the remote tools in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There are situations where they're just not good enough and, and we... We make sure that they get changed, for sure. Zoom is a good... So Zoom, the video chat, video call uh, system is is really an interesting one because it has worked the best for us uh, in terms of video calls. We've used a whole bunch of them. Uh, we've used everything from Google Hangouts, Skype, um, Appear.in, which is pretty decent, pretty frictionless, actually. I like Appear.in for how fast it is to jump into it but the quality is still a little bit suboptimal and, and a few others as well. Uh, but the nice thing about Zoom is that um, it allows you to put everybody into a grid pattern. Uh, it has a gallery view, which is really cool because uh, then you feel like you're having a meeting and not a not doing a presentation. And that's mm-hmm. something that came out of us doing sales calls and uh, internal meetings uh, we we kind of felt like I don't want to be the person on the big screen, right? Like feel like you're giving a presentation. I want to feel like this is a meeting with everybody, you know, kind of in an equal place and it, it makes people feel more comfortable. So that was a situation where we were using the tools for various things and, and found the one that I think has worked the best because as a leadership team, we needed it. Yes. As far as video chat or video calls, we actually need a name for that. Like, what do you say? It's not really video chatting. Video conferencing? It's not not exactly conferencing. I don't like the term. It's just video meeting. Yeah. There needs to be a term for that. We need to coin a term for that, at least internally. Zooming. Um, Zooming. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's not tool specific. Slack as a tool is much stickier in the, in the long term, probably than, than zoom is right at the moment. Zoom is by far in our experience, the the best quality, Mm -hmm. but that could change. Slack, we've, there's a lot of it we invested in, in customizing. It would be harder. But um, although we, we have invested some in Zoom, which we can talk about in a bit. But I would say Zoom is our favorite for our situation. One of our clients is BlueJeans.net, which is not really a competitor, but they do video conferencing. BlueJeans is really great for many things. One thing is they do every platform well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
which Zoom and a lot of the other ones don't necessarily do. Now we're all mostly on Macs and it works really well on that. So that works out well. And also BlueJeans.net has a lot of additional features where we basically just need video conferencing. Zoom is so superior. Google Hangouts is horrible. Please, please stop using Google Hangouts. Don't use Skype. Don't use Google Hangouts. Well, Skype Skype has gotten better, but Skype's quality is great, but it does a max of six people. We have twenty six people. I, I yeah. disagree. I disagree that their quality is great. I was being even ni- domestically. I've had I've had problems <laughs> with it. I was, being, I was being nice, Ken. Uh, <laughs> well, I I mean the, it, it the, the point, the point is here. You, you should demand rock solid video ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, and if that's not what you're getting, look at another tool. This extends to the internet. Uh, bandwidth that you have available at your at your place of work too. Uh, some people that that really were kind of scraping by on like 20 megabit or something connections, and it was impacting video quality. And on what tool? Just no, uh, their their connection. Their their you mean their internet connection? Yeah. Uh, and so that was something that we over time got everybody to upgrade to to faster and faster internet, and I think that was a success for. Pretty much everybody, uh, they, they have pretty acceptable internet now at this point. Well, some some aren't as much. We have a person who's a nomad and travels around. We have someone who is in extremely rural Canada, uh, up above Toronto. Uh, Toronto, I'm told, is the way, is proper way to say that. Zoom does very well in uh, bandwidth. So the people who do have limited bandwidth works very well. We actually have meetings with 26 people in Zoom, uh, which before would have been crazy. Skype limits you to six, which I'm not sure how useful that is for most meetings, but um, good for you, Skype. Yeah, it, the only thing the only thing it's not so great on is uh, battery life if you're using a mobile device. It sort of trades uh, CPU it time does, for, yeah. for bandwidth. So one of the things that Zoom doesn't do that we've sort of built a, a system on top of uh, is permanent conference rooms. Uh, and we found this to be very useful to uh, kind of say, hey, let's jump into a, you know, this conference room A or conference room B. We have better names for it. We go, we name them after rooms in the board game Clue. Trademark Melton Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> there's a billiard room. There's a conservatory. There's a study kitchen, etc. And we have different uses for those different rooms. You know, some are for sales calls. Some are for, uh, one is called kitchen, which we use for the kitchen table. It's basically where people just jump in there and, and, and work together in, in relative quiet. It's kind of a cool little concept. But uh, we actually built a, an online, like a website, as well as a desktop app that shows a clue board with the different rooms that light up when people are in them. And then it puts avatars of who's in that room, including guests. Which is very cool because I can go in there and say, oh, hey, look, you know, uh, Chris and Todd are having a meeting over there. I'm going to jump in and see what's going on. And and I can just click in there and it opens a Zoom window and I'm in their meeting. For example, currently, Chris, Jamin, Ken and I are in the study. Uh, we have Kevin and Ryan in the library and we have uh, Jed in the billiard room by himself. I'm not sure what that's about. Maybe playing a little pool. This goes back to the the notion of tools as architecture. Consider the experience of being in an office and you want a meeting, right? You say, hey, let's meet in, you know, Fisherman's Wharf. Like I was in an office where they named things after San Francisco neighborhoods, right? Let's meet in Fisherman's Wharf. Everybody, after they've been oriented to the office, knows where that is and they just go. 
That's it, right? That's the experience, right? Furthermore, if you want to know where somebody is, you can walk around the building, look into the rooms, and see that so-and-so is in Fisherman's Wharf, so they're in a meeting, they're busy. Now let's look at what it's like to be remote without a tool like this. Where's the meeting? Okay, I got to ask somebody. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, did someone start the meeting? Oh, no, no. Okay, somebody needs to start the meeting. Okay, well, okay, here's... All right, let me, give me a second. I'm going to start the meeting. Oh, here's the Zoom URL. Okay. Oh, God. And you got to invite somebody. Oh, do you remember the Zoom URL? I don't know the Zoom URL. Okay, hang on. Let me... Okay, I got it. Here you go. Right? That's the UX right now. Yes. Right? Of, of the base oh, video conferencing tool. And it's no wonder people hate that. Yeah. Right? And so this is Could saying... you imagine? Yeah. And so... And it turns out, like, you know, we've had to increase the number of rooms over the years. Right? But how many do you have now? It's eight? Eight. So we have eight rooms now. Eight permanent rooms pretty pretty much fine mm-hmm. for, right? for a team our size that works yeah. out well we usually don't fill all up i think yesterday i looked in there and there were like six in use which was kind of uh anomaly but and yeah. unlike an office we can keep adding those as long as we need to that's right and so i mean this is a case where i think we've created something that is actually better than what people who have an office have yeah right because you can just at a glance see where people are. Nobody even has to tell you what room they're in. They just say, hey, we're meeting. You go look at the clue board and you see where the people that you're meeting with are and you join the room. Yeah. So it's just one more little piece of like constant friction that we've eliminated. And I love it. Like, I mean, it's I think it's a it's a fantastic tool. Yeah, I I keep the Clue desktop app open all day long while I'm at work. Um, it's just it's also cool to see the little avatars and stuff. It makes me feel like. I'm at work. When we first started, you did have to push this. This was a very common interaction. Hey, Todd, I need your help with X. And I'm like, let's have a meeting or let's jump in Zoom or whatever. Uh, well, which one? Well, I'm already there. I, I joined a room as soon as you said it. Well, which one? Open clue. <laughs> Look for my name. Click on it. Yeah. Uh, that only took a few weeks, to be honest, of constantly just needling that to the point where when someone says, hey, I want to jump in a room, they they look and they see where you jumped in. Uh, and that brings back the importance of having the leadership on the tool. Yes. That's right. And th- this tool actually came out of uh, sort of a, a side project. I, I think Gant and AJ, two of our engineers, came up with the idea and, and built a prototype and put it out there. And it was, I, I remember being initially a little bit skeptical that it'd be useful. And, and it's turned out to be a really key part of our remote experience. That's actually an important point. No one asked anyone to make that tool. No one asked for permission to make that tool. They made it. They turned it on. Now, we've had tools that people have made. And uh, for instance, my tool, Ava, which now is very useful. Originally, it was Dolores, uh, which is from uh, HBO's great TV show, Westworld. But Dolores never caught on. She didn't do enough important stuff. And so she just kind of died. Later, I resurrected her as Ava, which is from the movie uh, Ex Machina. But uh, excellent movie, by the way. Um, it's still kind of a disturbing illusion, though. It, it is, but it's 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 a great movie. Um, it's a, and then the yeah. next movie he did, which was Annihilation, and it was fantastic as well. Anyways, not not important, obviously. But um, the point is, no one needs to ask for permission. They can make tools. They do. They put them out there, and they live or die based on whether they're actually used. And we do sunset things that just never really took off. You're mentioning a lot of tools that enable remote work, that enable productive work. 
What are some tools that you're thinking about or are in place that help with focus and and eliminating distractions? Because sometimes people new to these environments can look at these tools going, man, there's so many distractions. How do I how do I work? So I actually think that's one of the biggest benefits of working remotely, uh, which is kind of counterintuitive. Like you think, oh, there's there's so many like distractions when you're working remotely, but actually you can, you can turn off Slack. You can turn your, your screen to do not disturb. You can, you know, shut off zoom. You can turn off your email. You can like close all of those applications and just have the app that you're doing the work in. you're writing a blog post, you're writing code. You can just have that open. You can turn on like, uh, a do not disturb mode in, in Slack that will actually tell people that you're currently away. Um, so it, if you use the tools that are available, remote work can actually be much better because what happens in an office? Someone can't get a hold of you on email or, or Slack. So what do they do? They hop up and they walk over to your office and they're like, you know, hey, did you get my email? I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, uh, I will check my email eventually here. <laughs> is this really important? Uh, and one of the things that we do is, this is kind of funny, but we will actually say I'm going offline for like three hours because I'm going to focus on this thing. If it's really important, text me because our, our phone numbers are that right now. Nobody's going to text you because that just feels like a complete intrusion, right? Like it does it, happen. It does happen. If, if, it's, if like it's like a an genuine emergency. emergency. Yeah. But like that is so rare. Now that is awesome because you're adding a ton of friction, but you're still giving them some way to, to get get to you. And I think that that's actually a good property of remote work that you can actually focus more in those situations than you, than you can in an office. Yeah. Try to turn off all the noise in an open concept office. Good luck. Yeah. An office is distracting by default and you have to use technology to get some focus. And I can't think of any tool that we use just for focus, right? It's, it's about human habits around how they use the tools that are already there. I think there are some, Ken. I don't personally use uh, them. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are things, but there's nothing we use as a company. No, but there are people yeah. here that use, for, for one thing they'd use, they'll use the various timer apps that tell them to stand up or they yeah, set a timer for focus. At, I've used the Pomodoro timer. Yeah, there's there's there are things. Neat, yeah. I mean, what's cool about remote work as opposed to uh, uh, depressing cubicle work is... Um, <laughs> is... You can set up the environment for soul you to... Soul-crushing commute work. Soul-crushing soul commute work. S-C-C-W. I like it. Um, so in those situations, you have to go to the lowest common denominator. If 50% of the people are very productive and can focus with music and 50 can at all, you're going to have no music. When you're sitting in your own environment, whatever that environment is, whether it's your home or a cafe or... Um, co-working space or whatever it is that you've chosen to be most efficient in uh, when you're sitting in that environment you can control it and make it perfect for you to be able to focus personally if i'm doing kind of design work or visual work i, I play music it gets me in the groove uh, if i'm programming i cannot have any music or if i do have music i can't have any lyrics in it so that's a focus thing i tend to like to work more in the dark strangely um it's i mean i love light and i live in a very sunny place and i have a very sunny house but uh I've, i have noticed that i tend to get more just in the zone in dark and often uh, late at night for my, me personally 
I'm the same way, Todd. I have to fake my brain into thinking it's late at night by closing all the blinds and turning the lights off. And it actually helps productivity. Yeah, hmm. that, that's interesting. And I used to have this problem in every company I worked at. Like even say I shared a room with four other people in one office and four, I would want to have all the lights off and have a desk lamp so I could see. No one like this. And having the fluorescent lights on, I mean, I didn't take cyanide, but I do believe I shopped online for cyanide. <laughs> Just saying. So this is in your bra- this is in your browser history now forever. <laughs> there's an FBI file on you. Oh, there's been an FBI file. Come on, if you don't have an FBI file on you, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> At the old Clearside office, uh, we had some fluorescent lights, and one by one, they would burn out. And nobody would tell the maintenance guy because they just liked that they were burning out. <laughs> and eventually it got quite dark in there and everybody just, they wouldn't even turn on the light. I would like to make a confession. I have purposely broke some lights in offices. <laughs> true confessions with Todd Worth. You don't want true ones. No, that actually is. That's season two of the podcast. <laughs> that, that, actually, that actually is very true. Like, you know, sometimes you just have to. Civil disobedience. Yes, yes. That I like the yes. way you phrase that. It makes something more noble and less yeah, selfish. Right. <laughs> Guerrilla productivity. Well, we have some other tools to talk we, about too. Oh right? yeah, we have like, other tools to talk should about. Should we should we talk about some of them or yes. well, but but enough about Todd. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead, Jamie. I'll be here we do not eat the veil. One of the tools that has been really helpful for us is Google Sheets. Uh, so obviously that's the spreadsheet program in, in Google Apps. And we, so we're having trouble, uh, again, this was pre-merger, we're having trouble figuring out how to schedule people. It was just, it was just a real pain. And eventually uh, my project manager at the time came up with a, a system that involved sticky notes on a board that were like across the top uh, were weeks and down the left side were were names of people and we could just put sticky notes different colored my wife went out and bought like a whole bunch of different colored sticky notes and then we'd put the same project as the same color across the board so you could at a glance see who was working on the same project Um, you could see how long it was going to be as far as the number of weeks and every week we'd move them over uh, to the left and add another column that eventually migrated onto Google Sheets because, of course, that doesn't work so well when you're remote. And the collaboration tools on Google Sheets are extremely good. Uh, they, it's very, very responsive to having multiple people on it. So uh, when we do our Friday scheduling meeting for the next week and, and beyond, we'll all pull open the sheet and we look at it. And uh, we can all, you know, update it. You know, if we see something that's wrong, we can update it. We can change colors of the, the backgrounds. It's worked really well for now, two and a half years. And um, I think that's a remote tool that is has actually been quite useful for us for, for quite some time. Uh, and and I, it not only does it give us forward-looking data, but it also gives us backward-looking. We can look at previous years and see what projects were we working on at the time, who was working on what you know, all the way throughout. It's, it's been a very cool tool. The, and we're just kind of repurposing Google Sheets for to use as a sc- scheduling tool. Another tool we used to use, oh, geez, I can't remember what it's called. What was the, the pair programming tool we used to use? Screen Hero. Screen Hero? Screen Hero, yes, of course. I remember when Screen Hero was, it was eventually bought by Slack and, and it's been being integrated into Slack. We used to use that a lot, but truthfully, the tools in Zoom for screen sharing stuff became superior. And so 
I think almost everyone pairs with each other uh, Zooming. Another tool we use is Real-Time Board, which is a sticky board analogous tool. Uh, the, the designers, designers love it. The designers yeah. use it a lot, but we also use it uh, in leadership and uh, the developers, I think, are starting to look into it. It's great for brainstorming. It's a it's a real-time tool, kind of like Google's um, Docs or Google Sheets where everyone can use it at the same time and you see everyone using it. Um, that's been really great. The designers use the heck out of Envision, um, which is a wonderful tool for um, showing designs, getting notes, collaborating with clients, collaborating with the rest of the team and that kind of stuff. Another tool we use for project management a lot is Trello. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's a great project management tool. Uh, it's a Kanban board if you're not if you're familiar with those. Uh, not only do we use Trello, we also integrate it. Ava connects to Trello produce reports from the Ava connects to Airtable, which is another kind of a interesting mix between a database and a spreadsheet. So we use Airtable and Trello. Those are some other tools we use. So something to mention also is that between Slack and Zoom, we have some redundancy because Zoom has rudimentary chat and Slack has video conferencing. It's not as good as Zoom's, but but it's there and, and we already have it. So for example, when Slack is down, we have Zoom channels that we can all, you know, do basic communication in. And so that provides a certain amount of resiliency for the work environment. And that's very helpful. Yeah, it does go down every so often. And it's funny because our company comes to a screeching halt <laughs> um, when Slack goes that, down. That, yeah, and, that, and that's, a, that's a valid criticism, I think, of, of yeah. remote working. But I think um, having some redundancy. You're very dependent on that. Redundancy but yeah, we do have the new redundancy so that people can at least basically keep going yeah. and we all kind of we all know now if slack's down like it was actually yesterday uh yeah uh, coincidentally but if slack is down we go into zoom chat um so yeah. it, that took a while to get people because it's funny because we don't use email and stuff and we use that so much i mean we could jump into a meeting we've done that in the past like before we had this redundancy we would just jump into a, a meeting room and kind of like, hey, what do we do? It was it was like the lights <laughs> went out and everyone was confused at what to do. It's actually kind of amusing if you think about that. Um, a bunch of virtual people wandering around in the dark, wondering what to do. We have a lot of redundancy of internet connection. So someone might be having internet issues, but not everybody is having internet issues. And that's a pretty big deal because if I remember the office internet would stop working. And even though we were all in the same place, yes, we could collaborate. No, we couldn't work because <laughs> we couldn't, couldn't access. Get, couldn't get to GitHub, can't yeah, get GitHub, to, yeah. Dropbox, whatever, which we do use GitHub. We use Dropbox. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a little tool that I use that uh, I would say probably a third of the company also uses. We're on video calls a lot. And when you're on a video call, sometimes it's nice to have a cough button. You hit a button and it, it like mutes you for just a second so you can cough or whatever. And this one's called Shush. It's a Mac app. You can buy it for like three bucks or something. And, uh, it just turns your function key into a, a mute button. So you just hit that button and it will mute you for a short amount of time, or you can double tap it and it, it turns into a push to talk button, which is nice when you're in a big group. Mm -hmm. I, I don't use shush because I use a hardware version of that. I have quite a lot of audio equipment and video stuff. Um, I, we, I'm pretty sure in the remote podcast we talked about the importance of having good equipment and spending a little money on good equipment 
you cheap managers out there, um, stop doing that. You're horrible people. Um, also, but <laughs> also the background of your of your video call is really important. Mm-hmm. And that was actually something mm-hmm. Todd really emphasized when we first started. I will point out that he has the messiest background of all of us right now. Uh, well, to be clear, I have two cameras. One's a wide angle, which I use for the team so I can kind of move around and stuff. And I have a, a tighter angle I use for clients, in which case what's behind me is very specifically chosen to be a background. And I keep that incredibly clean. I just uh, say that J- to tweak uh, Todd because he... He's yes. the biggest champion of having a good background. J- Jamin's hor- horizon right now is extremely tilted, and it's been driving me crazy the whole time. But <laughs> okay, no, I can't. I can't unsee that. <laughs> In my forty-six years on this planet, I've learned not to mention that, even though I really, really want him to straighten his camera. It, do- it doesn't help, Jamin. You still got a vertical line that is. I- I'll tell you a funny up. story about backgrounds. Poor Ken. Ken had this very nice arm. I don't know what it was. What was it, Ken? It's a bookcase, right? But it's <laughs> but it's IKEA furniture, right? So it looks like a it's IKEA. It looks like a dresser. Yeah. This whole time was IKEA. We thought it was like important. We were, felt bad no. for making fun of it because it looks like a dresser. And it was right behind him, and it looked like Ken was sitting in bed with his dresser <laughs> behind him. Um, yes, and reinforcing so, every stereotype about remote. Right. Workers. So we kept on bugging him, <laughs> and he said it's a really nice bookcase. I didn't realize it was IKEA. Like I didn't say it was a really nice bookcase. I said it was a bookcase. <laughs> It looks like a dresser, but yeah, it's, it really it's, did. Well, fact. it's because it's because it's IKEA furniture, so it looks yeah. like that. So I guess yeah. the point is how things appear is more important than what they actually are. Um, you know, and this is something a lot of people aren't familiar with, and we have different people with different levels of quality of what they produce um, as far as visually or audio. But I think the general takeaway is take some time, and you are almost doing a mini television broadcast. And you want to be, you know, I wouldn't say the word professional because it's not stuffy. It's fine if you're, you know, you're wearing your your tie dye and your shorts, but you should make it a pleasant uh, experience for the viewers. You you should look inviting and it should look intentional Mm -hmm. and kept. We have some other tips for remote video meetings uh that i think are on a blog post uh that we that we created was it you ken that wrote that post uh yeah yeah i mean we could do a whole podcast frankly on yeah. how to have a good video meeting we can link uh, yeah. to that in the show but notes. we can link to that for now that yeah. is that is a podcast i want to do i do want to point out to the audience who can't see us now we're we're recording this for your listening pleasure and I put pleasure in quotation marks because I don't want to oversell it. But um, we are actually on Zoom and so we can see each other. So Jamin thankfully moved his camera so we can't see the horizon anymore, which is crooked. But right over his left shoulder is like a door line that's incredibly crooked. So I appreciate the Jamin or the effort, Jamin. But come on. Ha- I will point out that I'm moving out of this rental in a week uh, because I had a house fire, Todd. Oh, geez. <laughs> you, you can't pull a house fire out every time there's a criticism. The, the only thing in my in my background is my Harvard diploma. <laughs> <laughs> because it's all that they anyone cares about. Yes, so. exactly. Over my shoulder, I'm thinking about putting my not Harvard diploma. Narvard. It'll just say not Harvard. Sometimes we just invite Ken's Harvard diploma instead of Ken to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we just, I just put it in frame and then I walk out. I'm like, I'm just the janitor. So I do have one final question as we kind of bring this episode to a close. Is there any tool that you use outside of remote work or in your daily life that you wish existed as a remote tool? Blowtorch. (laughs) 
Elon's got that for you. <laughs> Not a tool completely, but here's something. Well, I have ideas for tools that'd be cool in the future. So we have the concept of kitchen table. Uh, this uh, real quick story. Please bear with me. The three of us. I don't know if Ken was. But there was multiple of us. The company were speaking at a conference in Paris. And so we all, we rented a large Airbnb apartment in Paris and a bunch of us were staying there and it had a very large kitchen table. And when we weren't doing stuff individually, we'd all sit around the kitchen table and we'd work together and we would just sit there like you would in a library in a university or something like that and work. So we wanted to recreate that, um, in virtually. So the simple solution is we dedicated one of our zoom rooms the kitchen to the kitchen table and you can't use that for anything else so if you just kind of want to be around people but you're working you're not really saying anything as if you're in a library i guess we should do the library but whatever um uh, you'd go on the kitchen table and you can work and just kind of be around people and sometimes people say things and have little kind of conversations like you would in an office but typically you're just sitting there working together that's cool it's missing a few features which i'd love to see for one is if you're not if say there was a group of people working in, in an open office and they're in the center and you are on the perimeter of the office and you see them kind of working together there at the kitchen table. Now we have that with our, our tool, we can see who's in the kitchen table and they're there. Great. But you can also, even if you're far away and they're dim enough, they're not dim, but they're, the volume's low enough that it's not disturbing. You can kind of still hear them. And sometimes you'll pick up on little words that may interest you. Like they'll mention a project you're on or they'll mention a personal interest that you're interested in or whatever. And you can choose then to go walk over and join them because of that kind of low noise, but informational um, thing you're getting by being in the perimeter. I would love to somehow integrate that into our tool where you could have like a low murmur of people in the background and the meetings that you're not in and kind of just listen for things that might be interesting, something like that. I don't really know how to think about that question. I find it very interesting that none of us can really come up with a tool that we wish we had. That's a fantastic answer. I, 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 I mean, I think there's probably tools that eventually we'll get that will be like, how did we, you know, live without this? But I, I don't, I can't think of one. It, you know. I, I can imagine, I can imagine in the future, basically a VR setup. Mm, yes. Right. If, if, yeah. if VR gets to the point where it feels natural, it's comfortable to, to wear the equipment, uh, right. And it's not a, it's not a burden just to have the stuff on your head. Um, and the resolution is to the point where you can have sort of a virtual monitor in space. Right. And you can like have that feeling of being actually next to people. And then you could, you know, in theory, have the best of both worlds where you can kind of drop out and like leave the space if you want to. You can also be in space and be available yeah. for that. I, I think that would be pretty nice. But there's a tool out there that's, that's sort of I think they're maybe in beta right now. It's called Big Screen VR. It's by a guy that I know, Darshan Shankar, uh, who's on Twitter, and and he I met him on Twitter, and he's doing this Big Screen VR system, and it's it's very much what you describe, Ken. Um, right now, it's only on Windows, uh, and of course, the VR headsets are still evolving but apparently you know the the new oculus go or oculus now or something uh yeah, is apparently quite good and uh it, it's also likely they said within the next year that it'll come to mac because uh they're working on well that. i think i think another threshold though is the sort of the the quote-unquote retina threshold to where the resolution of the headsets is such that 
you can't, I mean, in terms of resolution anyway, you can't tell the difference right. between that and, and something that you're looking at. Yep. So that you could actually make a projected display without any compromise. Yes. So I agree that in the future, that's going to be wonderful. I do have some current ideas on how to add spatial stuff to our tools to give us, you know, proximity information of each other virtually. So kind of what you would get if you were in a VR situation, but without having VR. Anyways, um, there's some interesting things there. Yeah, we've talked about like making an ambient audio device, something like that, that can just sit there and kind of like kitchen table, but without the video. There's a bunch of things we've talked about, but but none of, none of them are things that exist today. Like they're just things that we've thought about creating or, yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of Building Infinite Red. As mentioned at the beginning of the episode, be sure to check out the show notes at building.infinite.red slash eight for the full list of tools and resources, as well as a complete transcript of this episode. Would you be willing to share the love for Building Infinite Red? You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a shout out on all your social channels. Feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Have a question for the founders? Reach out to them on Twitter. You can find their Twitter handles on the show notes page. Or you can join the podcast channel on the Infinite Red Slack community at community.infinite.red. Thank you so much for listening to Building Infinite Red. We'll talk to you next time.